Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions Broadcast Studio, your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary, with a fantastic team ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram, where I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show, Diary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, it is a massive weekend. The Super Bowl, obviously a big deal, and also two of the best fighters in the UFC are going head-to-head this weekend in Australia. We will break that down and look at the legacy of a, I was going to say former all-time great. He's still an all-time great, but now a former fighter as Fedor hangs it up this weekend as well. So, uh, a lot to get to, so let's get to it. Thank you everyone for downloading and listening today. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about but might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, let's begin with the National Football League. The Super Bowl is here, and we are in for a treat this weekend. Um, We went over a couple of the legacy storylines, was thinking of doing uh, a little bit more on it on Thursday, but then the the NBA and NHL kind of went a little bit crazy. People are kind of rolling their eyes a little bit at the the Kelsey Brothers thing, and I think it's just because um, the media with things like this tend to overdo it a whole lot. This is still really cool. Like, you have two brothers going up against each other in the Super Bowl, and it's not just like, oh yeah, this is Giannis's two brothers, aren't they? It's fun that they're also here. These are two guys who have legitimate cases for the Hall of Fame um, when their, their careers are, are all said and done, and Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey of the, the Chiefs and Eagles. It, it's just, it is such a cool storyline and such a cool thing that sometimes because of how the media cycle is and we can just kind of beat everyone over the head with these types of things, you, you kind of lose the coolness of, of some of these things. This is really freaking cool what is happening here um, this weekend with the the Kelsey brothers, and I I think it's something that should be acknowledged at least. But as far as the football game is concerned, the analysis of this is so interesting to me because you have an Eagles team that across the board is incredibly talented. Like There are very few holes on this Philadelphia Eagles team. But yet, we haven't seen them challenged a whole lot, right? Because the the toughest team they faced all year was Dallas, which is, like, fine. But it is a steep drop after that. They have not even been challenged in the postseason. Um, the, the list of quarterbacks they have faced this year is actually laughable. And so, it, it's difficult to say how for real the Philadelphia Eagles are. Like I said... I believe that this is a very talented football team, but this kind of has the feelings, and I've made this comparison a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, this has the feeling of a college football team that's coming out of kind of a weakish conference. They've dominated that weakish conference, but they're coming out of it into the national title game. It's like, yeah, like, look, they put up 65 points, but that was against, like, Texas Tech or something, you know, like, um, you, you just, you don't really have a good grasp on what this team can be like when they're challenged because they just haven't been this year. So I'm very interested to see just how this Eagles team rises to this moment because facing one of your first real tests of the year in the Super Bowl can certainly be a bit of a challenging ask, but you look at just simply the talent on these two teams 
And it feels like, we kind of went over this the other day, it feels like the slight edge in basically everything is just over on the Philadelphia side. With the exception of the coach and the quarterback, which are the two like key parts on the football field. Um, and I, I feel like the the Chiefs clearly have a coaching edge with Andy Reid, which is, again, noteworthy given Andy Reid's uh, former employer is also in this game. And it, I, I think it's pretty clear that the Chiefs have the quarterback edge with Patrick Mahomes. Like, someone, um, one of the previews I read this week is that you could make a case that if you were drafting, like, coach and, or if you were drafting players for this game, you would draft, like, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid, and maybe Chris Jones. Like, one, two, three, four. And then picks five through 30 would be the Philadelphia Eagles. So it's so interesting to see how this game is going to, to stack out. Let's look at, at some of the numbers going into it. Kansas City, fourth in DVOA, which is, again, uh, a metric that re measures efficiency throughout a season and weights things toward the back end of the year. So you're, you're getting a pretty good grasp on it. Um, they have the number one offense, the 17th ranked defense, going up against the Eagles, third in DVOA, third in offense, sixth in defense. When we're looking at the coaches, Football Outsiders has a metric called aggressiveness index kind of showing how aggressive coaches are when going forward in situations like fourth down or going for two-point conversions and things like that. Um, Nick Sirianni for the Philadelphia Eagles, a 1.57 uh, aggression index, which means he is 57% more likely to go for it than other coaches are in different scenarios. Andy Reid, 22nd in, in those same scenarios at 0.83. So, you, you have two coaches that are very are on different ends of the aggression spectrum. A couple of, of other numbers that I thought were interesting, just kind of looking at some props for later. The Philadelphia Eagles, 35% run in the first half. That's actually below average. Um, and While Kansas City, 28% run in the first half, also below average. I, I think both of these teams are going to kind of use, this, use the short passing game as their, their run attack. The one thing that I think is really, really interesting... Kansas City is 15th in the league uh, against the run, but 25th in the league um, against the run when it's a quarterback. I wonder if Jalen Hurts is going to be able to, to take advantage of that. On the other side, um, Jalen Hurts is 54th in passer rating when throwing under pressure. A reminder, there's 32 teams. So, some backups handled it better than Jalen Hurts did. He had a, uh, let me see here, 45% completion percentage and 5.5 yards per attempt when throwing under pressure. So he gets it away short, he gets it away quick. I would imagine that um, Steve Spagnuolo's defense is going to try to get after Jalen Hurts in this game and really get aggressive in this matchup. And the one variable on both sides of the football is the health of the quarterback, right? Like you have Patrick Mahomes who went out there and beat the Bengals on one leg and you have Jalen Hurts who has been dealing with a shoulder problem for about a month. And again, we haven't seen him really need to test it. Like the deep balls don't look good, but they haven't had to really throw it a whole lot because they've been whooping everyone because they haven't played anyone in the playoffs. So I'm interested to see how Jalen Hurts' shoulder holds up to everything. At the end of the day, that this is a razor, razor, razor close Super Bowl. Um, we're going to give our, our official Super Bowl prediction at the end of the show in today's ticket. But th this is this is going to be 
one heck of a football game, I think. I, I don't think we're going to look back on this one and everyone's going to be talking about the draft by halftime because the, the game is such a blowout. I, I think we are going to get legitimately a very, very good football game coming up on Sunday. We will have the official prediction for Super Bowl 57 at the end of the show. Time to get into a little bit of fight talk. that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X is where the A's would be and you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Into the fight portion of Fights and Football Friday and one of the great mixed martial artists of all time has announced his retirement as Fedor Emelianenko retired in the cage following a first round loss to Ryan Bader at Bellator 290 in Inglewood, California last weekend. And for those who only remember Strike Force, um, Fedor, that you just can't comprehend how big of a deal it is that this guy is retiring. And so today I just want to go through the legacy of Fedor Emelianenko and just remind y'all how good this dude has been. He makes his Pride debut back at Pride 21 in June of 2002 against Semi Schilt, who was a monster of a human being. Uh, Semi Schilt stands in at six foot eleven and is a highly decorated kickboxer. Went 43 six and one in his kickboxing career. Um, again, like just one of one of the all time greats in the sport of kickboxing. Fedor beats him. And then the the Texas Crazy Horse, or as he was sometimes referred to, the Crazy Texas Horse, uh, Heath Herring, who, like, at the time, is known, um, but isn't necessarily like a, like, oh, this guy is a, a, an absolute world beater. He goes out and beats him. And that sets up a matchup of the two top heavyweights in the world back in March 2003 when he takes on Antonio Rodrigo Noguera for the Pride Heavyweight Championship in Yokohama, Japan. And this is, like, the, the major fights in Fedor's career are a fight against, um, the, the fights against Mirko Krokop, like, or the fight against Mirko Krokop, I should say, like, that, that was, like, the, oh my god, this is happening, I can't believe this is happening, I feel like the fights against Noguera don't necessarily get the respect they deserve, or they deserve, because, um, the, 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 the Krokop one was happening, like, it, there was so much anticipation around it, the Noguera one happened very early, like we said in his pride run, just three fights in, Sorry, we have the window open and or the blinds open and the sun's shining in my eyes, so I had to quickly put a hat on. Um, but th this one, because this one happened, there wasn't quite that same anticipation buildup. But make no mistake, like these were the two best heavyweights in the world at the time, and Fedor ends up getting a unanimous decision win to win the Pride Heavyweight Championship. Um, after that, there, there's a couple of fights that are just kind of there on the the resume. Um, he beats a guy who has like one vowel in his entire name in Lithuania. Beats up. Um, Kazuyuki Fujita in Pride 26 in his next bout in Pride. Then in Saitama, he absolutely whoops on Gary Goodridge before then beating up at uh, Enoki Bumbaye. Yuji Nagata in the first round absolutely annihilated him in Kobe, Japan. And it, at this point, like, the resume isn't as startling. He also um, ends up winning the Ring's Absolute Class Tournament in 2001, with, uh, I think, the, the most noteworthy win in that one, beating Babalu Sobral in 
Um, oh, that was the open weight title. Sorry. Uh, he wins the open weight title in August. And then in February of 2002, he wins the absolute class tournament, beating Chris Haseman in the, the finals there. So at this point, like there's a couple of good names on the resume, but it's the way he is doing it. He is absolutely demolishing Fujita, um, 417 in the first round, Gary Goodrich, 109, Nagata, 102. He goes into the pride heavyweight Grand Prix, taking on Mark Coleman, the first ever UFC heavyweight champion, beats him in two minutes and 11 seconds. Kevin Randleman, former UFC heavyweight champion, beats him in a minute. 33. Um, you have the Pride Heavyweight Grand Prix semifinal where he ends up uh, beating Naoya Ogawa by submission in 54 seconds. And then there's a bit of disappointment at Pride Final Conflict 2004. On the same night that he beat Ogawa, he and um, Rogerio Noguera go to a no contest because of an accidental cut. So they have to run it back at Pride Shockwave 2004, New Year's Eve 2004. And at this point, the heavyweight title is on the line, and this is also for the heavyweight Grand Prix Championship. And once again... Um, Fedor beats Noguera. A quick fight, uh, or a quick stop along the way against Kohasaka. I'm saying that wrong. At Pride Bushido 6, a doctor stoppage at the end of the first round, which comes at 10 minutes, by the way, uh, because of Pride rules. And then it sets up the absolute monster clash for Fedor when he takes on Mirko Krokop at uh, Pride Final Conflict 2005 at the Saitama Super Arena. He defends the heavyweight championship. It is named, it is decided that it is the fight of the year for 2005. It is the fight of the decade of the, the 2000s as awarded, I believe, by SureDog. Um, and at this point, like that again, was a clash of the top two heavyweights in the world at the time. It's not Randy Couture. It's not Tim Sylvia. It's not Andre Orlovsky. Night in, night out. No, or, um, Noguera. I have the thing hovered over Noguera. Fedor Emelianenko fought the toughest heavyweights that the world had to offer at the time, and he was smoking them. And if they weren't the toughest, um, then he was beating them in a minute and two minutes. Like, he was absolutely running through people. That was kind of the last big fight he had, um, in Pride. He faces Zuluzinho back at Pride Shockwave 2005, wins that one in 26 seconds. The Pride Fighting Championship's American debut in Las Vegas at Pride 32, he once again beats Mark Coleman, and then his last fight in Pride at Shockwave 2006 from the Saitama Super Arena, he beats Mark Hunt by Kimura. After that, he kind of bounces around a little bit. There is Bodog fight, which is definitely a thing. He beats Matt Lindland in three minutes, and then... Um, at a fight card called Yaranoka on December 31st, again from the Saitama Super Arena, he beats Hungman Choi in a minute 54. Then he comes stateside, and from there, it's Affliction Band, where Affliction started a fight promotion for a couple of cards. He wins the inaugural World Association of MMA, I believe it was, the Whamma Championship when he beats Tim Sylvia by a rear naked choke in 36 seconds. The next fight against Andrei Arlovsky, he beats him in 3 minutes and 14 seconds. And then there's a brief pause. He waits to the end of the year to fight Brett Rogers in Strike Force. Um, this was a major deal at the time. Brett Rogers was supposed to be the next big thing 
in the the world of heavyweight mixed martial arts, and Fedor just annihilated him. And then the mystique comes to an end with one singular tap as he loses to Fabricio Verdum in a minute nine in San Jose, California at a, a strike force card, just the second loss of his career. He hadn't lost since he was fighting in rings in 2000. So an undefeated streak that lasts 10 years comes to an end with a tap to Fabricio Verdum, starting a three-fight losing streak that really did kind of signify the end for um, for Fedor. He would go on to, to fight in M1, um, a couple of fights there. He would fight in Ryzen, and most recently fighting in Bellator with wins over Frank Mir, Chael Sonnen, Quinton Jackson, and Timothy Johnson, but losses to Ryan Bader twice and Matt Mitrione. Even just running through the resume, I don't think it necessarily does this man justice. The aura that he had, and again, you look at him, and he's just like a regular doughy dude from Russia, but when he is in there, Everything is precise. There is no wasted movement. The hand speed is phenomenal for a man his size, for a man of any size. There was such an aura around the last emperor that I don't care what Dana White says. Oh, he didn't challenge himself in the UFC. Dude, challenging yourself in the UFC in 2023 is a whole lot different than it was in 2002. That was not the ultimate proving ground for heavyweights. That was the ultimate showcase of some dudes who probably need to go to the gym a little bit more, um, but don't want to, or, but are choosing not to because you have a weight class that goes up to 265 pounds. Like the, the UFC heavyweight division only recently has been really fun. Um, it's, it's not, it wasn't back then. Fedor was challenging himself against the best in the world. And quite frankly, he was the best in the world for an extremely, extremely long time. There were some debates about him going to the UFC. There were conversations um, about him going to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It never happened because M1 wanted co-promotion, and the UFC just wouldn't do that. And Dana White, I think, is a little bit stubborn. And I, I think he looks at this now as something that is a blemish on Fedor's resume. And yeah, it would have been great to, to have Fedor be able to, to make that walk to the octagon, to be able to put him in the video games and stuff like that. But do not let this late stage of Fedor mask the fact that this is one of the true all-time greats in the sport of mixed martial arts. When we're looking at resumes, like, when you look at resumes, two wins over Noguera and a win over Krokop in the early 2000s, it is very difficult to beat that. I think it would be, uh, I would have to do a real deep dive on Stipe's run, excuse me, as the heavyweight champion. I think he is the best um, UFC heavyweight champion of all time, but I still think you put everyone in a tournament, and I think Fedor is coming out with his hand raised. So that is a look back at um, mixed martial arts past. We now look to the future, the pretty immediate future, as UFC 284 goes down this weekend um, from Australia, uh, Perth, Australia, more specifically. And this, another one where we're really banking on the first couple of fights on this card, with Islam Makashev defending the lightweight championship against the featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. In the co-main event, it is the interim featherweight championship. Depending on what happens with Volkanovsky, we'll see if this is for the undisputed title, as Yair Rodriguez takes on Josh Emmett. After that, not a whole lot jumps out at me, to, to be perfectly honest with all of you. Uh, Jimmy Crute's fighting again. That's nice, I guess. Um... Randy Brown can do some things, but this is really a two-fight card. Let's get into the breakdown here 
In the main event, it is Islam Makashev taking on Alex Volkanovsky for the lightweight championship. Makashev, 31 years old, he is 5'10", with a 70-inch reach, born in Russia, training at AKA. He is 23-1 for his career, with 4 wins by knockout and 11 by submission. His most recent win coming by submission in the second round over Charles Oliveira at UFC 280, where he won the vacant UFC lightweight championship. That puts him now on an 11-fight winning streak. He has 7 finishes during that time, 5 in a row, 12 one in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, he made his debut in 2010. Volkanovski, 34 years old, standing five foot six, born in New South Wales, Australia, training at City Kickboxing, 25 and one for his career, with 12 wins by knockout, three by submission. His most recent fight coming at UFC 276, when he won a unanimous decision over Max. Holloway in his fourth UFC featherweight title defense, putting him now on a 22-fight winning streak. Six of those last seven fights have needed the judges to declare a victor. He is 12-0 in the UFC and a pro since 2012, where he started in the welterweight division. If you have listened to the show, or even a little bit before, I have said Alexander Volkanovsky might be the most well-rounded fighter in the sport right now. Um, and the way he can transition between the martial arts is incredible. His gas tank unmatched like he, th there are so many things that he does so incredibly well but he is running into an absolute hammer this weekend in Islam Makashev you think Islam Makashev who trained with Habib is going to get tired at any point don't think so um another big question is does that gas tank hold up when you're moving up 10 pounds is there a bit more power for Volkanovsky if he is able to adjust his weight properly or does some of that power kind of go away a little bit i am so fascinated in this fight because it is legitimately like two of the pound for pound best fighters in the world right now going head to head i i really want to say volkanovsky i think if volkanovsky were a natural lightweight or if this fight was happening at featherweight i think volkanovsky wins i think when you look at the toolboxes of both these fighters both extremely talented absolutely both extremely talented I think Volkanovsky just brings a little bit more to the table. I thought it was interesting that Makashev was able to outstrike Charles Oliveira. He basically, like, I think the Oliveira fight is a really good test, and that's why I'm leaning the way I'm leaning in this bout, because you have someone who is, again, incredibly well-rounded in Charles Oliveira, skilled on the feet, but incredibly dangerous on the ground. Makashev lit him up on the feet and then beat him up on the ground and was able to finish a head and arm choke when he barely had it. Like, he he did not need the leverage of his body basically making an L with the head and arm choke, which provides a bit more pressure on the choke. He has such a knowledge and such a, for lack of a better term, such a squeeze that he is able to get that submission while barely needing any of the other leverage that you need when you are pulling off that move. I just feel like Makashev knows how to handle a fighter like Volkanovsky. I think him being a natural at 155 pounds is also going to help. We know the stories of Volkanovsky. He's fought at 170. He played rugby at 240 pounds. He's also four inches shorter than the dude and has been at 145 pounds for a bit now. So I, I just feel like the size is going to be too much for Volkanovsky to, to kind of overcome. For Volkanovski to win this fight, I think it's going to have to be a lot of hit and move. A lot of pop, pop, and bounce out. Pop, pop, and bounce out. You know, like he's going to have to be on that bicycle the whole time. 
If you stay in front of Makachev for even a moment too long, you are going on a roller coaster ride, and it's probably not going to be a good time. Makachev is so strong on top and has such a so uh, solid base on top that you can't really do a whole lot with it. Again, Charles Oliveira, incredibly skilled grappler, and he got the tar kicked out of him by Makachev's top control. Everywhere... I think Volkanovski can do something. I just feel like Makashev has a strong enough counter that he's going to be able to get the job done. I don't think he finishes Volkanovski. I think he beats him up, though, and I think he gets the win in this bout. Um, the co-main event of the evening, again, is for the vacant, or not vacant, the interim featherweight championship. You have Yair Rodriguez, born in Mexico, standing at 5'11", coming in at 30 years old, uh, training at Huntington Beach Ultimate Training Center, uh, formerly at Jackson Winklejohn, as well as King's MMA. Coming into this bout, he is 14-3 and three with one no contest. He has alternated wins and losses in his last three with victories over Jeremy Stevens and Brian Ortega, and a loss to Max Holloway which was a substantial ass-kicking. Um, Max Holloway really put it on that dude in this bout. Um, but like I said, 14-3 and three with five wins by knockout, three wins by submission. Josh Emmett is 37 years old out of Phoenix, Arizona. The Fighting Falmer is his nickname. Um, he is training out of Team Alpha Male, a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Josh Emmett is 18-2 for his MMA career with six wins by knockout, two wins by submission, and he is riding a 5-5 winning streak with the most recent bout coming against Calvin Cater, a split decision back in June of 2022. One of the issues for Emmett is he's only fought once in each of the last three years. A decision win over Shane Burgos in June of 2020, a decision win over Dan Ige in December of 2021, and a, as mentioned, split decision win over Calvin Cater in June 2022. All quality victories. This is such an intriguing fight. It's a little old school. Josh Emmett can, can like, stand up for sure, but he is not the stand-up fighter that Yair Rodriguez is. And Yair Rodriguez doesn't have the wrestling that Josh Emmett has. Like, I think this is really the wrestler versus the striker. And if 20 years of watching this sport has taught me... Oh, jeez. Almost 30. Um, years of watching this sport has taught me anything... The wrestler wins that nine times out of ten. I think Yair Rodriguez is going to have a few flashy moments, but I think Emmett is veteran enough and experienced enough to be able to handle those and to be able to control this fight with his wrestling. I think Josh Emmett gets the job done and gets his hand raised as the interim featherweight champion of the world. So, there is your UFC 284 breakdown. Aside from that, like... There, there are decent fights on this card. I think it should be a fun night of fights, but this is basically based on two fights um, at the top of the card. So that is your breakdown. When we come back, it will be time for today's ticket. All right, now time for today's ticket presented by Betstamp. Download the Betstamp app, use referral code COUCH to let them know that we sent you. It is Friday when we are recording this, so taking a look at the schedule, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs get the job done against Columbus tonight at minus a uh, goal and a half. You can get that at plus 100 at CoolBet. Um, nothing else really jumping out from the NHL schedule. On to the National Basketball Association. Uh, looking at this, some interesting matchups tonight. The, the Bucks taking on the, the Clippers should be interesting. Um, you have Portland taking on Oklahoma City. I am going to go here with the Memphis Grizzlies, minus six and a half against the Minnesota Timberwolves. That number again coming from Cool Bet 
as well. So now let's get to the fun of the weekend. Um, taking a look at this, Islam Makashev is a minus 350 favorite against Alexander Volkanovsky. So it is um, not the best value of that one. You can get, uh, I think the best way to play this, because I think this is going to be a decision, we're going to go to Betway and we're going to go over three and a half rounds. I think this fight goes the distance, and at Betway, you can put a little money on that at plus 100. There is value if you think that Volkanovski is going to win this one at plus 320. I don't think it's as long as the odds suggest, so that might be a bit of a, ah, we'll just see what happens type of a bet. Um, into the co-main event, it is a little bit closer, with Yara Rodriguez still a plus 179 favorite, liking Josh Emmett in that spot then, so we're going to go Josh Emmett plus 157 over at Cool Bet. And then, in the main event, of the sporting calendar. It is the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I don't believe I've put it down to be tracked, so it's not, I guess, official for this segment. Um, but I do have, earlier this week, Kansas City plus two. Um, so now we are just going to go money line on this one. The best spot to get Kansas City on the money line is at CoolBet at plus 107. So we are going to lay down with that one. CoolBet giving us four bets on today's ticket today. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we're going to do a few more prop bets. Again, um, there's so many prop bets that this uh, particular app could not... Um, I don't think this particular app could be able to, to track that. That would be a lot for just one particular game. So I, I am looking at... Um, tomorrow at doing just like going through a bunch of websites and finding all of their props. But for today's ticket for Betstamp, we are going plus 107 for Kansas City. So a big ticket for today. We have the Toronto Maple Leafs minus a goal and a half over Columbus at Cool Bet. We have the Memphis Grizzlies minus six and a half against the Minnesota Timberwolves. In the UFC, we have Volkanovski and Makashev to go over three and a half rounds. Josh Emmett to win at plus 157. And the Kansas City Chiefs to win Super Bowl 57 at plus 107. We're going to hit track this time because we had a good day yesterday and didn't hit track, so it's affected the numbers. Uh, but that is today's ticket. And that's today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, wherever possible. Um, like I said, really trying to grow this thing and it feels like we're right on the cusp of some stuff that's great. So please, rate, review, subscribe. If you don't like something and want to hear something different, let me know. Email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Prop preview tomorrow and then it's the Super Bowl. And some fights. Gonna be a fun one. Thank you all so much for tuning in today.